Alright, welcome back. It is episode 124 of the New Blood Rising podcast as we are in season 5 taking a look at from Sting to Hogan in the early 90s of WCW. I'm William Rinkin, joined by Jason Kiesler. How's it going, everybody? Charlie Stabile. Hey, what's up? So, uh, we're closing. Before we get into Clash of the Champions 18, which we'll be covering today, just hit on a couple of points. One, best of luck spot Hall of Fame. You guys really uh, hit the pavement hard, and you sent in a lot of nominees. I'm looking at you, Palmer. I'm looking right at you. That guy sent in like a billion nominees. Like, this guy was hyped for it. So, uh... <laughs> He's trying to get his own wing. I know. We're going to get the Ryan Palmer Hall of Fame. The wing of the Hall of Fame. It's been great. <laughs> and they will always be... Uh, we'll, we'll let Leslie Jackson go ahead and do the... He'll do the intro for each of them. Just carve it out. We'll go live to... We're live in the Simpsonville Target as uh, Leslie and that beast Thomas Bate are going to go at it. All right. Um, so... We've got the list of nominees. I've got a, a doc sheet. I'm going through. I'm verifying links. I'm numbering it. I'm going to get it set up to send out hopefully this week. So we're recording this on Sunday the uh, the 10th. So I'm hoping it comes out this week. So just stay tuned on social media, the Facebook page, uh, also on Twitter. And then we'll that we'll go forward from there. Like We'll have a date locked in for when the sheets are due and, your, um, and who you're, uh, you're going to cast your ballot for. So... Other thing, after we record Clash today, something that we've wanted to get back to, this is something we did in Season 1, a little bit in Season 2. We've done this throughout the seasons, uh, but we, it, it's something we wanted to get back to, and that's doing kind of the chat shows. The short kind of, we're not covering a show, but we're just kind of batting around some topics related to the season. We're going to record one of those today. It's not going to be super long. It'll probably be one of those... Like, you know, maybe our max episodes. We'll see how it pans out. And then that'll come out in probably a week. All right. So we're going to do Clash 18. You're going to be, you're listening to that right now. A week from now, probably keep a lookout on your feed for our chat show. It'll be really fun. I'm, I'm excited for us to kind of bat it around. Um, just again, few topics from season five here that we can touch on. We'll, our goal, I would say, is to try and do one of these after each clash because clashes are short. Thankfully, it's nice to have a short episode to review. Uh, compared to those big pay-per-views that you know stretch up to three hours sometimes, so just wanted to go over those real quick before we dive in here. So we're talking Clash 18. We're starting a new year. It is 1992. Specifically, it is January 18, uh, January 21st, 1992. All right, let's go through our background, courtesy of Lincoln Phoenix. He always delivers. Here we go. Number one movie in the U.S. Quintessential viewing. For anybody who likes weird subgenres, it's the hand that rocks the cradle with 11 million over the weekend. 11 million in week two, mind you, as well. That's an impressive number for 1992. Uh, it'll actually, I think, hold uh, four weeks at number one, which is really impressive. Really impressive when you, um, yeah. when you look at some of these. Uh, again, this is a January movie, which the paradigm for a while, January is just a crud month for movies. So. That's pretty cool. Next up, number one song in the U.S. We've said it before. It's Black or White by Michael Jackson. Here's a fun one. Number one song in the U.K. Wet, Wet, Wet by Goodnight Girls. The first of four weeks at number one. Really? <laughs> what does this sound like? <laughs> 
And then number one song in the in Australia, Black or White by Mike, Michael Jackson. This is the last of its eight That's... weeks at number one. All right. Champions. WCW champion is Lex Luger. The U.S. champion is Ravishing Rick Rude. The world tag team champions are Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton. The U.S. tag team champions are the Young Pistols. The uh, WCW light heavyweight champion... I believe it's Jusha Thunder Liger. He put in here Ultimo Dragon, which I was like, whoa, he came back through time. He came back and took the belt. It should have said Ultimo Warrior. That would have been great. I would have snuck that in there. The WCW television champion is Stunning Steve Austin. Now, quickly, Anderson and Eaton, they took the belts off of Steamboat and Rhodes at the at a January 16th house show. Big Josh and Ron Simmons... Here's the unlikely duo. Defeated the Young Pistols on an episode of Main Event taped January 14th, but doesn't air until February 16th. They took the U.S. tag titles off of the Young Pistols. And you're going to love this. Because they end up dropping the belts a day later. Don't even keep it 24 hours. They drop it to the uh, the tailor-made man, Terry Taylor. <laughs> and uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. What? <laughs> wow. The charismatic black hole. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Your WWF champion is Ric Flair, who had won it just recently at the Royal Rumble. The Intercontinental champion is Roddy Piper, who had defeated the Mountie at the Royal Rumble as well. And the World Tag Team champions are still the Legion of Doom. All right, guys. Pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I mean, it's still, yeah, it's some good stuff. So here we go. Clash of the Champions 18. We are in the Expo Center. We're uh, we're off the grid here a little bit. We're in Topeka, Kansas. So, uh... <laughs> a WCW hotbed. That's right. The stronghold. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just want to start with, wow, we got a, an actual video package of sorts to start this show. It's... It's good. Yeah, I, I was really it impressed really with the value of the, the production value. This black and white footage showing the rise of the Dangerous Alliance, the rivalry with Sting. It's it's really good. I, I was really impressed. We go to Jim and Tony. Oh, that's Jim Ross, mind you, uh, for those scoring at home. Just making sure you guys are up in the up and up on this. All right, Jim and Tony open up things. Tony says he has a blockbuster announcement. And Jim says this will be the biggest clash ever. We get we get a quick segment with Eric Bischoff and Missy Hyatt. Nothing extraordinary really said here. We go to our first match, and it is a doozy. Jason is up first. He has Vader and Mr. Hughes, accompanied by Harley Race, taking on the Steiner brothers. Oh, man. You know how good this clash is going to be? It's the biggest clash ever, so we're going to get right into it here. Uh, Jim Ross says the word tremendous three times within five seconds. Someone please get that man at the source. Um, and for some reason, they're still setting up the ring in the background during Jim and Tony's <laughs> introduction. And you see them all over the place. And there's a lot of weird, wonky production errors later on throughout the show. Uh, we have a match that's it's Vader, Mr. Hughes against the Steiner Brothers, which is set with a 30-minute time limit. I would love to see this match go 30 minutes. <laughs> that would be incredible. Uh, you know, they spend a lot of the match on the commentary talking up 
Hughes and Vader, uh, or sorry, even before the match, on their way to the ring during the entrances. Yet Scott Steiner takes Mr. Hughes down within the first 15 seconds with just a double leg drop. Or a leg drop. So I, I don't understand. Are they supposed to be badass? Or are they just supposed to be fodder? Um, and I don't understand how Harley Race can ironically win a World Heavyweight Championship. He just wins and goes, I did it because it's funny. Like, come on. That's pretty stupid. Um, they do say that Harley Race is a master of strategy and technique. Well, maybe the master in strategy of technique should tell his team to stop turning their back on their opponents. Because that seems to be how constantly Rick and Scott get the upper hand back. Every time Vader and Mr. Hughes have a little bit of offense. Um, Rick getting Big Van Vader in a belly-to-belly once is impressive. Getting him in a belly-to-belly again from the top rope and throwing him over without either one of them breaking their necks is super impressive, I will say. Uh, Tony then goes on to say that when Scott saw Vader standing up and waiting for him, he should have just climbed back down. So this is when Scott Steiner is going up for a top rope jump. And Vader stands right back up. And so just imagine Scott Steiner getting up. Oh, you're up? And just slowly climbs back down. I'm sure the crowd would have loved that. Um, We do get an awesome power slam for Mr. Hughes. It's like really the most effective offense he's had that's not a cheap shot. Um, And then then Mr. Hughes bang his nuts on the middle turnbuckle. It was very remnant, like, you know, being that we were recording this just a couple weeks after the Royal Rumble when Brock Lesnar apparently nutsacked himself on the edge of the table, and that's how they told the story of Finn having a chance. Mr. Hughes apparently banged his dick on the turnbuckle, too. Um, he gets to be the bit my dick off for our best our uh, PSA announcements. And then uh, Rick Steiner wins this match with a bulldog. How many guys in WCW have a bulldog for their finisher? And how many finishers do the fucking Steiner brothers have? It's a little crazy. I thought it was the belly-to-belly for Rick and then the Frankensteiner for Scott. But nope. Nope. But uh, And not to steal your bit, Charlie, but Mr. Hughes' hand is visibly under the rope during the pin. That's awesome, though. uh, Yeah. And then uh, apparently Nick Patrick went to the Liam Neeson School of Refing and continued to count Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh my sorry that I apparently made you swallow your cigarette there. No, no. I quit I quit I'm just pure sick right now oh. pure sick. it's a good thing we've recorded we've got it on record you're saying I quit I quit so when we do that I quit match later Charlie I'm going to play that and I'm going to win That's right. <laughs> I'm going to beat the fuck out of you till you're unconscious in front of your front children, of children. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go in time and get them and bring them back. Watch your daddy. Um, but uh, this, as far as this opening match goes, you know, it's a lot of high-impact, brutal Haas battle, really, to start the show off. But the problem is is that the Vader and Mr. Hughes are really just more fodder for the Steiners. Like, the, this should there should have been some kind of match. It really didn't feel like that. Um, I mean, other than that, you know, I, it was all right. I gave it a four. A four. Good deal. Charlie, what'd you think of this? I, anytime I see uh, one of the Steiner brothers go for an overhead belly to belly on a guy or guys the size of Vader or Mr. Hughes, I immediately clench up because uh, it's just like there's just no way. Uh, but Rick Steiner does a perfect belly to belly on Vader 
And then Scott does it to Mr. Hughes. And it's just phenomenal. Like it just, it just gets me so excited uh, when they do those moves. Um, I, <laughs> but then, so Scott Steiner, I don't know why, I don't know why this is like a thing to do with big guys, but so Scott Steiner tries to do a sunset flip on Vader. And this is like a spot that Vader works into a lot of his matches. Now that I'm thinking about it, where he just, Oh, is he going to get up? No, he just sits on him. <laughs> just, just, just sits on him and reminds me of Yokozuna sitting on Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get that image out of my head. But just, I mean, just yeah, Virgil wasn't even trying the sunset flip. Well, that's in case you do, you know. <laughs> um, but no, Vader just just sits right on him. It just it always looks devastating and just brutal. But um, I guess he does it safely. Uh, this top rope bulldog. I swear, Rick jumps like halfway across the ring to pull this off and just and just makes it happen i'm I, I think i'm more fascinated than anything that the fact that mr hughes's glasses just never come off it's like indiana jones's hat it just it's like they're the staple to his head um and he's strap do what he has a strap you can see him they're like they're almost made like goggles instead of sunglasses. They're they're strapped to his head. Oh, they're literally it, grabbing onto his head. I, yeah, there's a wrap that goes around the back of it. It's pretty. Oh, he should be like Scorpion in Mortal Kombat. He takes him off and he just fire comes out. He burns. Mister Hughes loses anyway. I, I do agree. I do agree with Jason. Uh, Vader and Mister Hughes just just get eaten. Yeah, and, and and these these guys are just monsters. And no, not not when you face the Steiner brothers. But I don't. I, I didn't give a shit. I I had a blast with this match. I gave it a seven. All right. So you had to wonder, based on looking at this match on paper, who was going to take the Frankensteiner. And although we don't get one, <laughs> although we don't get one, the Steiner still hit like an incredible amount of high impact moves. Uh, and the credit has to go to Vader, who really does just bump like crazy. Uh, including taking that top rope belly to belly. Usually I'd say the pace needs to pick up for an opener, but this match sustains a lot of its energy with just a billion signature moves, like Jason pointed out. Hughes is the weak point here. He really is. Everything from his punches to uh, to just his selling falls short of where everyone else is. Vader and Hughes never really looked that dominant, even though based on their size and athleticism, they should. The signers basically owned the entire match. I keep having to tell myself that it's coming and with Vader and just to be patient. I end up giving this a five real quick. This is funny. Of course, this is a match for Jim Ross's football bonanza. Crazy with references. And he actually, he, he screws up something with this as so ironically funny. And Philip, uh, Philip Goad <laughs> was so good to point this out. He keeps saying Vader was his first round draft pick. He wasn't. He was a third round draft pick. And the, <laughs> The first round pick for the Rams was a guy named Elvis Peacock, who was from Oklahoma. And it's funny. It's like, come on, Jim, that's your team. Like you would know this, but like, like we've seen with, like we've seen with Lex Luger's GPA, you know, things can just evolve over time, <laughs> one way or the other, one direction or another. <laughs> Devolve. Or in either case, like in case of Luger, it's like, well, he just kind of gets dumber. <laughs> College <laughs> dropped out of eighth grade by the time <laughs> Luger gets came dumber retroactively. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So up next, young pistol Tracy Smothers and the tailor-made oh. man. 
aka Terrence Taylor in a rebrand, are taking on uh, Flying Brian and Marcus Alexander Bagel. Charlie, what, what's going on with this one? Second verse, same as the first. <laughs> so he comes, he comes out as the tailor-made man, and I'm like, okay, let's see what's different. And literally nothing. Even his, even his boots still say TT on them. <laughs> this is all right. Let's. Let's do this. And I love young Pistol Tracy. As if I was going to confuse him with Road Warrior Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Like, no shit, that's Tracy Smothers. (laughs) It's just so dumb. Uh, Terry Taylor does this fuck you like this might be the best of luck spot of the night he does this fuck you suplex to brian pellman from the inside of the ring to the floor and just lets him go <laughs> just all right <laughs> um uh what, what is the oh yeah oh oh yeah oh man bagel you know it's fun to watch him now because because he's uh because he's new uh he almost kills uh he almost kills Tracy Smothers with a back body drop. Uh, he doesn't. I don't. And I'm not even sure whose fault it was because it's. Um, he starts lifting ta- uh, Tracy by what look I guess the chest. Like like he's he's lifting him way too soon, and Tracy just kind of has to make it work and almost just gets decapitated. Uh, but it it worked out. Um, ba- bagel gets a sunset flip and gets a one two three. Uh, this, uh, the typical Terry Taylor, four out of ten. Jason, what do you think of this? Um, I apologize in advance. I I wound up with a great deal of notes for this match for some reason. Oh, no, bad <laughs> <laughs> day at work. I was like looking. <laughs> so, um, Terry Taylor, the Taylor Mad Man, excuse me. Uh, he comes in and he he's wearing that full suit, so that's a little different, Charlie. And what's neat is t- the tailor-made man, the first replacement or the replacement for Michael Wall Street, comes into the ring and takes him just as long as it used to take Michael Wall Street when he first started that gimmick to get his suit off. So we've come full circle with that bit, um, which is kind of cool. Oh, what, what do we have here? Oh, yes, the tailor-made man and Smothers. Is how they refer to them at one point. That sounds like the best, worst CBS crime-solving duo I've ever seen. Of a of a private detective who's obsessed with good-looking shirts and his obese, diabetic child sidekick Smothers, who just <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It is amazing. Um, I still don't understand this idea. So, when has a heel left a heel faction and stayed a heel? Even The Rock had like a whole month of being a face when he left the nation before he became, you know, the super heel rock on when he won his first world heavyweight championship. Um, Jim Ross says that Brian Pillman is as quick as a fast breaking basketball team, an entire team. Brian Pillman is as fast as five athletes. All right. Uh, during this match, here's one of the production things I was talking about over the whole night is the tag teams switch corners for some reason. And I have no idea why. It's pretty funny. Um, drop kicks and hip tosses from Buff Bagel here are the that's the new fiery young baby faces equivalent to the big man's sidewalk slam and big boot. You know they're going to have them uh, right off the bat. And then uh, 
Jim Ross makes this weird comment that sent me into a 45 minute researching spree. Um, so I'm sorry. Is is Brian Pillman plays football? He said that a billion times. But cruiserweight, former cruiserweight champion Brian Pillman played the same position as William the Refrigerator Perry in football. I looked it up, come to find out he's right, but what the fuck? How does a 350-pound guy, a 225-pound guy play the same position in football? I'm not too big on sports. Can William, can can you exacerbate on that? Um, I mean, it, it all depends on schemes. You know, like, it all depends on what defensive scheme you're running. Like, I'm not going to go, I'm really not going to go deep into it. I just think, like, there's some defenses that are built around, we're just going to have fast guys in the linebacker position that are good for blitzes or whatever. And then you have a guy like Perry who's just like, the guy's going to either be a good butt plug in the middle of that of that line, or yeah. or he's just going to manhandle any kind of blockers, you know, and break through or open it up for somebody else to get through. Like, I mean, it it, it is really just about schemes, man, to be honest. Okay. Because, I mean, Brian Pillman was never a G.I. Joe, so fuck him. Um, but uh, great. Brian Pillman is also not a butt plug. I appreciate that. Uh, so, Stravani comes through and says that uh, he's... Oh, what is it? Oh, God, I got to really, really learn to read my my writing here and not write like I'm having a seizure. Um, but he, Tony Stravani makes a pretty valid point. He said that, you know, Bagwell has associated uh, himself into Sting's issues with the Dangerous Alliance. But Bagwell needs to focus on developing his own career and leave any bad blood that any other people may have alone. And what's funny is Jim Ross is dead silent for like five seconds going, stop it, you're killing our stories. But it makes perfect sense and it's something that, that spoiler alert, I may talk about on our Chit Chat episode. Um, so, But the good news is, is Buff Bagwell, like everyone else, does betray Sting in about four and a half years. So we're good. All right, so... The tailor-made man uh, likes to, you know, he's tailor-made to stand on the apron and take a hit. That's like really the biggest thing he does other than give Brian Pillman the neck breaker into oblivion uh, suplex over the apron. Uh, then we at this one point, Taylor and Smothers are double teaming Pillman right in front of the ref. Like he's just looking at him and the ref just walks away to stop bagel or I keep saying bagel. We really got to do. He's not buff yet to stop Marcus Bagwell from coming to help him it doesn't the ref is counting like you need to get out oh let me stop this other thing so they can continue the beat down um then i think this is where you were talking about where he uh where bagwell almost kills tracy smothers charlie i, I named it the reverse tombstone driver <laughs> and uh one thing i don't get and this is another wrestling logic thing which i know we've said has no place but when a wrestler is rolled up into a sunset flip and another their tag team partner comes to hold one wrestler from being rolled over into the pin why and then the other tag team partner the one who is trying to get the pin why do they attack the person holding on or they go to kick the person instead it's just they do it bass backwards instead of stopping or trying to prevent the pin they try to help and hold on it doesn't make any sense to me um this match gets a three okay so the team of taylor and smothers on the surface it looks a little odd and blase why would the cow why would the outlaw or cowboy want to hang out with the one dollar man and unfortunately for Taylor, whether he's Terrence, Terry, or the tailor-made man, he doesn't do anything differently to really signify he's going in a new direction, despite his boots. 
Nevertheless, Bagel and Brian are great together. The sequence with Bagel getting tagged in, cleaning house with hip tosses, leading to his launching Pillman into the ring to hit a diving clothesline is really a thing of beauty. As good ta- as a as good a tag team sequence as you can get, Pillman, I, I'm still going to say, is my favorite part of the season and still, if we were voting MVPs or whatever, would easily get my vote. He has great offense but takes incredible bun- bumps for opponents, including the, you know, that suplex at the outside. But I really, I uh, I thought, though, based on their chemistry, this was a really fun TV tag match. I ended up giving it a six. All right. Jim Ross and Tony, uh, Shivani, mind you, talk coming out, they come out of the break talking about Jushin Thunder Liger winning the light heavyweight title. We see his own best of luck spot with his leap to the outside that landed with a tough thud. Man, that thing looked brutal. Uh, that sets us up for our next match. Okay. Richard Morton, carrying on the gimmick, taking on Johnny B. Bad. So, so with the dissolution of the York Foundation, we have seen Terrence Taylor become the tailor-made man. What has become of Richard Morton? Well, he enters wearing bright green tights, a leather jacket, and enters to rock and roll music. But he's still Richard Morton from the block who seems to really want to be a face again, but held down by booking as a heel. Johnny B. Bat enters to the saddest pyro display I've ever seen. He has now equipped his cape with confetti launchers, so every time he becomes Johnny B. Batman and spreads his arms, they go off. He, in fact, grabs two more confetti launchers along the ramp to shoot into the crowd before the match begins. Now, I must ask this question as a parent. Although I don't have a daughter yet, why on earth would you have a little girl in a purple boa wave a dollar bill at Johnny B. Bad to put in his garter belt? What is going on here? Jim Ross even remarks on the little girl and how she drops her, her dollar bill. <laughs> I, I have a three-quarter page essay about that, will you? <laughs> this is, what's funny is like this is an incredible amount of preface for a match that feels about as sad, dull, and disappointing as the pyro allotted to Johnny B. Bad for his entrance. In the vain effort to try and build more contenders outside of Flying Brian for the light heavyweight title, Bad is still billed as the heaviest possible light heavyweight, 236, which Goad made a point. That's heavier than any of like most of the world champions today and most of the major wrestling most of the major pro wrestling uh promotions, which is wild. And Richard Morton is billed by Tony Schiavone as the smartest man in WCW. Despite the hype bestowed on both men, most of the spots are unremarkable, and the finish is fitting with a reversed cross body by Bad that becomes a cumbersome rollover for the win. He even has to pull his own legs off the ropes, which feels like a moment where he questioned, if I were a face, a heel, or a rich man, would I use the ropes? This is very disappointing. I end up giving this a two. Jason, what'd you think of this? Well, I think it's super cool that Johnny B. Bad has inherited the diamond studded stutter with the two Ds at the end of his name here. Um, someone's got to carry on that tradition. Uh, but when I started watching this match, I was like ready for it. I was like, you know, today hasn't been that bad. It took me forever to watch the show. And then the little girl with the boa came on and my mind exploded. <laughs> and I had to wait and watch this the next day. Um, because like the Jim Ross's comment about Flying Bride Frigerary Perry, I did a little research on this. So I called my good friend Pierce, who has a daughter who looks to be close to the same age, and I asked him to load up. He uses my network occasionally. And we watched that few minutes together. 
Um, and I said, okay, Pierce, you took Aya to a wrestling show. And, you know, like, hey, she's having fun. And so she's set interest in this one person, Johnny B. Bad, who I could see why someone would be into him. He's flamboyant. Uh, he's a good guy now. So that's great. She has a boa. He sometimes looks like he should have a boa. It's great. It's that cool kind of connection thing. Awesome. But would you be encouraging her um, as she misyells the person's name? I don't think this little girl is really into it because she keeps saying John B. Bad. John B. Bad. <laughs> while she's waving her dollar um and pierce was laughing he's like yeah i i don't think that 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 i would really get into that um kind of thing luckily you know things weren't made more awkward at all by jim ross calling it out <laughs> after this poor girl had been on the screen for a full 10 seconds um and, and the neat thing is the sad part is as soon as this little girl drops her dollar the camera cuts that's the most interesting thing who gets her dollar um you know, it was, it's just so sad. Like, I could say you were Willis said you didn't have a dollar. Pierce 100% said, no way in hell would I let my little girl wave a dollar at a wrestler's whole gimmick is, I guess, maybe he's, he couldn't tell. You know, is this guy supposed to be a gigolo? What is it? Or is he just flamboyant? Um, and I told him, well, a few shows ago uh, when he was a bad guy, they were some planted, attractive women, quote, quote, to uh, put money into his garter belt. And he said, definitely not. And he said, then I would also find the son of a bitch who pointed it out on TV that my little girl was going to shove anything into a man's garter and punch him. So apparently it's not cool. I'd love to hear some other parents just comment on that, but it's not. Um, John would be bad entrance, just like my little tirade there, is an Undertaker-length entrance, although it is super sad with his pyro that looks like something bad happened and not in a good way. It is pathetic. Um, I would just be like, don't don't even give me that pyro if you're doing that. You're showing me that that I suck. Uh, we finally see Johnny B. Bad do a sunset flip that doesn't require him to go three quarters of the ring of the ring. Uh, and this finish is absolute crap. I gave this match a three. Charlie, what'd you think of this? Oh, not a whole lot, William. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, I literally wrote one note, and it was just little girl with dollar bill, JR, she dropped the dollar, and then I put, what the fuck, three out of ten. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's, I really don't remember anything from this match. Other than, no, actually, I, I take that back. The one thing I do remember is um, the confetti that he kept shooting out of his, uh, out of his cape, because uh, I kept waiting for something to go wrong or something to fuck up, and, and even, like, the little confetti that that came out like uh, that was uh set up on the ramp uh like he'd walk up and queue it up and it just you know just it just it wasn't it, it didn't look as cool as it, sh as it should i do like the cape though i thought i like I, I like the character but uh this this match was this match was no good uh, i gave it a three okay so now here's where things take a turn oh <laughs> Because up next, we've got Eric Bischoff, who's with, you know, Johnny B. Bad, going to do an interview with him, along with Flying Bryant. So I was pumped. Oh. I was really excited about this. <laughs> and then, and I want you to keep in mind, I just said, I just said, and I didn't edit my comments because I wanted to I wanted to see the flow here. I just said, like, man, this guy's the MVP. This guy is so good. You know, it's just so much fun watching him. And then he has a bit of an attitude here. <laughs> in fact, he says... Uh, it's a bitter rivalry with Jushin Thunder Liger. 
And then where it goes into this weird place is he talks about, you know, I was a kid and I saw a lot of these Japanese companies buying these local buildings and turning them into skyscrapers, which led to a lot of jobless friends. Flying Brian then says, I'm not going to let Liger take the light heavyweight title to Japan and probably the most MAGA moment of this or maybe any show we've had thus far. And then he just decks Johnny B. Bad for the heck of it. Oh, it's the best. He looks shocked. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, build the wall. <laughs> in Brian Pillman's defense, Johnny B. Bad is pantomiming the hell out of his promo, and even keeps trying to talk over it. Till Eric Bischoff shoots Johnny B. Bad to look like, "Will you fucking stop?" No, that is true. Uh, Johnny B. Bad at one point does grab the microphone, like literally grabs it while Brian Pillman's talking, and it's mm-hmm. like, "What the what the fuck are you doing?" It'd yeah, be great so. if, if Bischoff was just like, here's a dollar, go fuck off, Marrow. <laughs> Let me put it in your G-string. But, uh, so, the, to go back to why Pillman Punt, so, at some point, Johnny B. Bad's like, you know what, I'm not getting any attention. So, he pulls some lip stickers from where I do not know. Oh, yeah. Puts one, puts one on Bischoff's cheek, which Bischoff just kind of runs with it. And then Johnny B. Bad puts it on Brian Pillman's cheek after his MAGA moment. And that's when Pillman has enough and just floors him. It's, what is this? Is this a heel turn I, for I, Brian Pillman? Or are they trying to be like USA? I mean, it's weird because I remember Super Brawl, Super Brawl 2. He is not like this. Like, it's a straight up, they're going to have a match, and it's, it, it, it doesn't really feel like there's anything like this that's a part of it. Yeah, there may be a little bit of the, um, you know, we're we're rivals, but we're competitors because we're both really good competing for this title. But none of this comes into play. I just I'm wondering if anybody knew this was coming because the look on even the crowd, the crowd is like, uh, yeah, uh, I have some friends, too. Maybe this isn't where we talk about this, but it's so wild. Maybe he's maybe he's got a little chip on his shoulder because apparently people aren't paying attention to what he's doing. Because Bischoff did just say that Brian Pillman started the started the night off in a six man tag, Which, so it could be like, wait, you're not even paying attention to what I'm doing, and I'm literally just had a match like ten minutes ago. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, he definitely did not have a six man. That's for sure. Wow, wow, definitely. I, a... I, I do like the idea of the MAGA moment of the night. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one. There's another one much later. Oh, good, you're good. <laughs> All right, so up next, we've got the master and the ruler of yoga, DDP, taking on PN News. <laughs> Jason, take it away, sir. Well, in the first ever, if I beat you, PM News, you have to adopt my yoga program match. <laughs> so I will say this. This has got a, a, pretty, a pretty decent start to this match um, as far as – you know, not the rap, because uh, God, that was horrible. And maybe he should walk to the ring slower, so he's not out of breath when he does his rap. My name is P. M. News, and I'm here to say it's like the Bob Holly promo, like where he's <gasps> like every other word after some match. Singers go, oh, it's it's hilarious. Um, but P. M. News and 
is getting in there and Diamond Dallas Page just goes right for him. Uh, I'd like the we're going to start the body. We're going to start this match off with a failed body slam attempt. Um, and it just takes me back when DDP body slammed PM News on the Indianapolis for America and started. <laughs> Uh, is, is the rookie of the year, uh, you know, and his wow. but, he's the, right. He's the rookie of the year, but apparently his match isn't important because we're going to talk about the hotline during the beating. Really mention anything, uh, you know. So kids, and, and so we have the option to. Are you going to talk to Ricky Steamboat? What's he going to talk about? Arm drags and dragons. That's what he's going to talk about. Or you have the dollars to vote no. You want Paul Heyman at ringside during Rick Lewis matches just for them to have him there anyway and waste your money. So um, PM News does have some kind of quote, quote, innovative character-based offenses. His little tuck and roll cannonball elbow drops that he does are pretty cool. Uh, the sound guy must think they're cool too because he just assumes that he kills Diamond Dallas Page and immediately starts playing music during the middle of one. Just well, he's dead. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of cool. Uh, then the sound guy, who again just assumes that TDP is not going to survive this, starts playing PM News' music as he's climbing up the turnbuckle to do his rap master <laughs> quote splash. It's just like, you might as well just start playing Cactus Jack's entrance music. DDP's yoga skeleton is going to shoot out of his mouth like a cartoon. Um, but for some reason, I did like the this match enough to give it a four. Real quick, Jason. When you talk about him body slamming, <laughs> body slamming him, body slamming PN News, DDP body slamming PN News on the Indianapolis, all of a sudden it became Jaws. And I was like, they... <laughs> we all went into the water. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, in the context of the actual plot of Jaws, like you, you hear the um, it, the nails on the chalkboard, they turn around, and PN News Music picks up, and he's quit. <laughs> he does... So PN News or not DDP? <laughs> yeah, why not? He, sur- he survived it. PN News... <laughs> PN News then does the entire Indianapolis speech as a rap. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let me see if I can do it. Hang on. Black, black, what a way. Ben, I'm sorry. It's the intrepid. I, I wrote an I and then a squiggly line. And for some reason, Indianapolis is in my head. So it's just... <laughs> That's funny because I knew what you meant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 80 men went into the water I survived because I'm a bit taller <laughs> you, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing Yo baby, yo baby yo. <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat I do need a bigger boat Yeah <laughs> The shark can't get his jaws open wide enough to eat PM. <laughs> That's how Roy Schneider kills him. PM News is <laughs> when he when he bites PM News, he doesn't make that crunching sound. It's just it's, it's just like see. a gerbil. Oh, that's awesome. Brody just looks through the he looks through the rifle sights and he's like, "Smile, you son of a bitch." No, baby, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd like to hear the PN News do that Spanish ladies song. Oh, my God. Oh, Farewell, yeah. you Spanish ladies. PN <laughs> News is sitting there comparing scars. And this is from the scaffold match. <laughs> Here's when I was part of the Baldies and New Jack stapled a PlayStation to my nutsack. <laughs> stapled a PlayStation. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> All right, that was a fun detour. Charlie, what did you think of this match? Oh, it's, uh, man, oh, man. So PN News, I love, like, watching him try to find the beat of, of his music uh, so that he could start rapping because he always kind of just, uh, like, starts, like, oh, wait, oh, oh, and he kind of slows it down a bit and just, oh, my God. Man. It's just really rough to watch. It, it seems like he never rehearses it, but it is fun. Uh, I'm a little confused about this uh, this WCW hotline. Uh, in fact, I was so confused that by the time I thought I figured it out, the match was over. Um, so, <laughs> so this is the first I've. So let me break this down. Um, this is the first I've heard of this. And they never say whether or not that these votes would count. So, should Paulie dangerously be allowed at ringside for Rick Rude's U.S. title defenses? Um, why wouldn't he be? Uh, like everyone else is is allowed to be with it with their wrestler. Like he has a manager license or whatever they call it. For, so for whatever reason, um, his managerial services are in question, and we're leaving it up to the fans to decide whether or not he can do this and they they don't they're taking votes now but they don't really say what's going to happen when all the votes are tallied and they'll uh, they'd say it later they'll tell it we get to find out on saturday night mm -hmm. that's true they do say it later but at the, at the same time it's like oh we'll f yeah they, they go we'll find out on saturday night and i'm just like well, what do you think the fans are gonna are gonna pick like, like that's that's not exactly a jury of your peers <laughs> you know <laughs> So I, I think I he's getting screwed here, man. Um, like, it's just not going to be good. Although I did like, like, not to bury the lead later, but I do like that Jesse Ventura says that he called in and said that he should be allowed to to be at ringside. <laughs> yes, big man. I mean, Ross. That, that that's like classic Jesse Ventura. That cracked me up. Um, it's funny because. That's really all the notes I have. I don't really remember anything about this match other than DDP repeatedly trying to body slam PN News. Like, this is like his go to, like the first movie goes for. I'm like, d d with no energy, just trying to pick him up. Like, you're going to be screwed for the rest of the match. Um, and, and yet, I still gave this match a five. I, I guess I liked it. <laughs> I would like to see, like, if they were doing the Indianapolis scene and they did the first run, which was always reportedly terrible, <laughs> that PN News would, like, look at look at Spielberg and go, Yo, yo, Steven, I was a little trashed when we did that take. Can we do another for goodness sake? Yo, baby, yo, baby. <laughs> Spielberg's just like, fuck it. Who brought me this guy? <laughs> I'd like to see PN News like getting into verbal spats with Richard Dreyfus, <laughs> and they're all in rhyme. <laughs> horrible, horrible rhyme. Hoopa <laughs> drives the boat. Yeah, like I, I. What's so funny is in the context of 2019, when we're coming off like 
that political rally that Flying Brian held with Eric Bischoff, he comes out with a red hat, and I was like, are you serious? And it's a Chiefs hat. But I was like, oh, man, PN News is on board. He's, he's the mega. Yes. PM Make Motown great again. I, all that being said, this match was like kind of like this unnecessary – it was a necessary reset switch because it definitely felt like Pillman's promo threw the show off for like a just a little bit. Not like didn't catastrophically throw it off for the whole night, but this they needed this match to kind of, you know, all right, all right let's get back to just fun old TBS wrestling, folks. Uh, that's not to say, though, this thing was anything special. News squashes Paige despite DDP getting a few shots in. News hits his patented fat fuck splash to secure the win. Even <laughs> patented. He went down to the patent office, spoke to Albert Einstein, and said, I'm calling it the fat fuck splash. You got it. <laughs> Einstein just sticks his tongue out at him, just like that poster. <laughs> When's the last time like a commentator called a move patented? I know. that. They used to crack me up. <laughs> or he telegraphed it. That's another one I used to like. Yeah. Hello? Yes? Bam! <laughs> I would love I would love a whole a gimmick. This whole thing is they patent all their moves, and if someone steals their signature, they come out. That would just uh, uh, uh. to have constant feuds with someone. <laughs> uh, is that a super no. kick I see? I'm taking on the whole fucking locker room. <laughs> You gotta pay me, motherfucker. Patent <laughs> officially. That's, that should be the next hotline: is who should own the patent for the Ratmaster Splash? The fat fuck goes up. The fat fuck must come down. With great force. <laughs> All right, so now we go to the W. Oh, my rating on that was a three, by the oh, way. Oh, yes. Three. Oh, good. <laughs> huh. uh, the WCW Top Ten. Larry Sabisco, oh. who Jason recently uncovered, dated Missy Hyatt for about six months sometime. Yes. Oh, I saw that video, too. <laughs> like, I just happened to catch that, like, a couple days ago. Oh, that's fucking weird. And I hate that. Now that I've watched it, that's like all YouTube is recommending me is like that dude shooting broken up. And so what's cool though is it did recommend Missy's response to that clip. Oh yeah. And who the whoever the guy is who's doing the video, you know, clearly he goes, So tell me about Missy Hyatt in the, the Larry Zabisco video, right? Yeah. In the Missy video, he goes, I didn't prompt him to talk about it at all. <laughs> <She's> goes, <laughs> And the thing is, is hers is like it's only like thirty seconds. It's not a big deal. Um, but the most interesting part, aside from the fact that for some reason Larry Zabisco is in witness protection in that video, and it's completely yeah. yeah, like in Florida. <laughs> I dated Missy Hart. Modulation. But his is about porn being oh. for losers, and if you do porn, you're scum. Oh wow. See, my YouTube experience was somewhat different. Uh, oh. My recommended video, right? I, I can't believe I'm about to talk about this, but my recommended video right after the Larry Zabisco one was uh, Missy Hyatt talks about wrestlers' dick sizes. <laughs> and you better believe I clicked on it. 
And uh, sure enough, it's it's pretty much exactly what I was expecting. <laughs> yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. <laughs> yeah, PN News. Oh boy. No. See like, it. It must be huge. Well, I think this the, like the worst part was because uh, I didn't stick around for long because I was like, I think I've heard enough. Uh, she, she, she 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 describes Ric Flair's, and I I just uh, <laughs> whoa, you know. Is, apparently, is it... <laughs> apparently Tommy Rich is working with a lot, so you know I mean, that's that was interesting. But, former world champion, you know. <laughs> he fires up in the middle of sex. He fires up. Like... Yeah. <laughs> I got full bar. <laughs> you go pick up the signal. <laughs> you could just see Zabisco I, I just. Not... I do not recommend that video, but continue. I was say, you could just see Zabisco talking about mundane stuff in the middle of it. Like, Missy, I went down to the Primanti's and I got myself a lettuce sandwich. It was good. I'm telling you, if you closed your eyes right now, you'd have been like, oh my God, that's Larry Zabisco doing the podcast. Oh my God. Sure <laughs> would. The game of human chess is just like sex. You gotta stop um, an instant finish quick. Um, wow. All right. So, so he's number ten. He's number ten. <laughs> number nine, Eligante, clinging to the top ten somehow. Wow. Number eight, Big Van Vader. Seven, Dustin Rhodes. Six, Cactus Jack. Five, Rick Steiner. Four, Ricky Steamboat. Three, Stunning Steve Austin. Two, Sting. And number one is Ravishing Rick Rude. This list is bullshit. What's that? It's bull- this list is bullshit. Um, because Elliot is on this list, he's not even on the Clash of Champions. Rick Steiner's like in the top five. <laughs> he's a tag team wrestler. His brother's not on the list at all. It's just so dumb. Yeah, I'm not buying it. Yeah, Ron Simmons no. nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be found. Mm-mm. All right. So then we go to a bit of a we go to a segment here with Tony. Tony introduces the new executive VP, Kay Allen Fry, who announces that Lex Luger is defending the world title at Super Brawl, but he doesn't say against whom. And I was like, oh, wait, oh, so that is that it? But no, he says he has another surprise, and it's Jesse the Body Ventura. Ventura comes down, he calls WCW the wrestling of the future, and says he'll be broadcasting, uh, he'll be broadcasting at Super Brawl. I'll be uh, in a few, I guess it'd be. It's about a, eh, a few weeks from then. Fry then passes off. Uh, then passes off the remaining duties for the promo to Tony, who announces that Lex Luger will be defending the world title against Sting, who comes down and visits with everyone. We then go to a pre-taped Luger interview where the champ explains his absence and seclusion due to him negotiating with the WWF. Oh no, sorry. I, he's preparing for the biggest match of his life. He wants to be known as the greatest athlete ever. Sting signs the contract and proclaims and wishes that he could grab Luger through the screen and get things started. And then Ventura closes the promo, selling the pay-per-view. What'd you guys think of Jesse popping up? Very excited. I was more excited than the crowd was. Yeah, yeah. Is this our first time seeing Jesse? I think in, yeah, I think in any respect of this podcast, any of the seasons, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, because yeah. he's he's the best. So I'm, I was very excited. I do like how Lex Luger cut that promo from his kid's picture day at school. He's like, <laughs> hey. Um, and it has no energy. 
it, it's you know I get if you're just trying to be the solemn I'm in I'm in preparation blah 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 but he keeps forgetting his lines and keeps glancing at a cue card which really steals the the quote thunder from that thing um but you know it was a good time I mean I, Jason I mean I said it jokingly but I guarantee you he's pretty much like all right I'm gonna go to the WWF as soon as this thing's done like he already knows that he's not sticking around it's yeah. gotta be and that's why he's like he's yeah, really not the WBF. There. Right, of course, right. But yeah, he's already negotiating his way out of there. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's hilariously mundane. But up next, Charlie's got a fun one here. It's Cactus Jack versus Sammy Van Hammer um, in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Oh, man. Um, okay. So, I... <laughs> first thing I have here, I really like this. The, uh, you know, when they put up the hotline number, they always block it out, you know, like WWE network does, but uh, a lot of good that does when Jim Ross just says the number right over the, uh, <laughs> right over the, right over the line. Like you can just hear it. I don't understand this. Like why, why they even bother to block it out. If Jim Ross is just going to be able to say it and, and they won't block that out too. Um, Van Hammer, he shoots something out of his guitar at Cactus Jack, and it just launches Jack back into the ring because this is on the ramp. Um, oh yeah, uh, just Cactus Jack's um, his top rope jumping clothesline uh, just looked devastating. It just looked like he just knocked off his head. Um, this is a pretty violent match, but it's like stupid Mick Foley violent. Uh, like the power slam on the ramp spine. Why the fuck does he do this sunset flip move uh, from the second rope to the to the floor? And he purposely hits the concrete. It's like it's like this is the part of McFoley that I just think is stupid. It just doesn't make any sense. Like you're going through all this just to do a sunset flip, and you never get the pinfall for it. Um, not I've never been a fan of that. So this thing eventually just devolves into a, a brawl. Like it reminded me of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre with Holly and, and Snow. So they go backstage, and there's like a I don't know what this is. It's like like it's like a, they got a farm back there, and there's Missy Hyatt trying to to do something, commentate, but check their dick sizes. I don't really know. And uh, Abdullah the Butcher shows up, and apparently he's feuding with Foley now. He's feuding with Cactus Jack, and it's. I don't. I don't even remember how this thing ended. Uh, I, I think Van Van Hammer gets the three, doesn't he? Uh, no. no, no, no. Foley wins this thing. Yes. Oh God! It just it, the, the whole thing is just jumbled at the end. Uh, even to the point where like, like they dump Missy Hyatt into the trough. Like, I think that was her whole her whole purpose with the match. Um, this this was fun for a little bit, and then it just became nonsensical for me. Uh, I gave it a four. Jason, what'd you think of this? <clears throat> I was ready. I was ready. This is one of the matches that I remember watching as a kid, hoping that it holds up, because I just remember thinking how fun as it was. And I was 11, so I was rooting for Van Hammer like an idiot. Because um, he was a good guy. He was 11. And also, he, he, was, he was in a rock and roll, and I was really just discovering my rock and roll. Uh, and come to look at it, this guy was not into rock and roll at all. <laughs> who wears a Stevie Ray Vaughan head headbangs? <laughs> Let me tell you, a guy who doesn't know rock and roll. Um, so the projectile from his 
his guitar hits Mick Foley right in the face and it explodes. Ten out of ten. Uh, but it's a Falls Count Anywhere match, and the first pinfall is right in the middle of the ring, two seconds after the bell rings. I love it. It's like, nope, I'm going to go for this. <laughs> that would just blow people's minds. It's like, I'm a traditionalist. <laughs> Falls Count Anywhere, right here. It happens right here. Um, Mick Foley has one of the coolest anti-air fuck you clotheslines. Van Hammer just goes for the t- the top rope. I'm going to jump at you and do nothing spot. And Mick Foley kind of jumps into it and takes him right down. Um, newsflash, Charlie, I'm way into this thing. Um, so our, our scores are probably going to offset each other. Um, I did like Cactus's sunset flip to the concrete. Why? Be- because... In, in the sense that it's like, I hate this guy, and I'm willing to hurt myself to beat him. It, it does get old throughout, you know, because you're never going to get it. You know, why go for it? But in a false count anywhere match, it makes sense. Um, so I like it. We we get a roll-up attempt on the apron. You hear, you know, the apron's generally reserved for high-impact moves. So let's do a roll-up. That's all. <laughs> It's a false count anywhere match, but let's cut to a commercial. I mean, what are you going to do if the fall happens during a commercial break? And that crowd is pissed because they boo. Yes, they are. Mm. Like, I don't know if they're really. I mean, like, it, it seems like they would be into it, um, but they're mad. So we come back uh, just in time for the badass cameraman to just SWAT police to kick the door open to come out with Van Hammer laying on the ground and McFoley throwing traffic cones and all kinds of crap they make a big deal out of and Van Hammer bleeding below the rib cage he's got like a little nick I mean <laughs> shaving uh, which is kind of cool but he does have a lot of little cuts on his back from the asphalt which is kind of gritty and dirty um, Missy Hyatt is out there for some reason and I really don't know because she's screaming count them out count them out it's like bitch do you know the rules it's a false <laughs> She even grabs the other refs who are out there, John Pee Wee Moore, and she says, do something. And he looks at her and says, I can't. Not like a person who's powerless in the face of death, the person who knows the rules, I can't do anything. Um, but suddenly, Dusty Rhodes appears. No, wait. That's Abdullah the Butcher, master of disguise and a worldwide assassin. Who's that 400-pound nun? That's not a nun. It's Abdullah the Butcher. Who's that 400-pound kid? That's not a kid. It's Abdullah the Butcher. Why is he there? Who cares? He nails. He's supposed to apparently hit Cactus Jack with the shit shovel, um, but he doesn't and hits Van Hammer instead. And they go, that was aimed at Cactus Jack. If that was aimed at Cactus Jack, Abdullah is blind as fuck. Um, he just nails him very gingerly. Cactus gets the pin, but this shit show continues, and those two fight. Abdullah goes to drown McFoley. Missy Height runs. They keep going towards her on purpose to throw her into the water, which, for some reason, Tony Schiavone chimes in and just goes, tremendous. Like, what's not? It was just there. The crap at the end aside, this match, I had a lot of fun with it. It, 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 you know, it held up to my memory of just being like fun and cheesy. I give this bad boy a seven. All right, so I really think this is great wrestling television. Cactus is the MVP here, and it's just more foreshadowing to where we end up with him later down the line. Between the sunset flip from the top rope to the concrete and the hip toss, he takes off the bump or off the ramp. He bumps like crazy for Van Hammer. I was curious how far they would take this, and my curiosity was certainly confirmed with both men brawling into the rodeo arena. 
So, uh, uh, Missy Hyde really doesn't give any commentary or guidance to the match other than trying to convert, coerce one of the very fine referees to stop the brawl. Her, her, her <laughs> please go just completely unnoticed. And then our attention is quickly diverted to a fat cowboy who, who appears from the ether. It's uh, Abdullah the Butcher. He has it in for Cactus, except when he swings a shovel, he just wallops poor Van Hammer in the face, which leads to the finish. Abdullah recovers, dunks Cactus in the trough, then decides it's time for Missy to go in there too. Where will Abdullah the Butcher show up next? I, guess I do like this because I look at it through the prism of like 1992. It's like, man, I don't remember seeing this like in WWF yet. You know what I mean? I hadn't seen enough wrestling by this point to have been able to fathom what a Falls Count Anywhere match would really be. At least I don't think so. I don't think WWF really did a match like this yet. I could be wrong, but I just don't remember one being like on, on TV or any of their pay-per-views. Um, but yeah, I, I I definitely enjoyed it. As a, and as a TV watcher, if I would have been in the arena, I definitely would have been like, man, because I don't know. Do they, they always talk about they have the screens going? Because, like, they show the Luger thing and, like, Sting acknowledges yeah, it. Yeah, what screens? I can't find the I know. Screens. Exactly. I, I, I don't know if they're... And it's not There's like one screen. Is there? Yeah. Yes. It's to the... Um, if You know, when they're showing the over... The, the full arena shot, the stand where uh, Bischoff normally does his interviews from, the screen's right there. So if you're on that same side of the ring, you're fucked. You don't get to see what's going on. Now, Charlie, I will say for the Top Rope Sunset Flip, the one thing that like I, I really love about it is that it hopefully kills it for Johnny B. Bad to where he should never do it again because it's like that guy just did it to the outside and nailed it. Yeah, somehow, somehow Johnny B. Bad doing it in the ring looks more dangerous than Packers <laughs> Jack doing it outside the ring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just hope <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I just hope he, that it just kills that move now for everybody. Like now nah, you can't do it because Cactus did it to the outside, so don't ever do patent it. Patent it. <laughs> You're gonna patent a sunset flip off the top, bro. <laughs> no one, no one wants to do that. No. <laughs> um, what do you give? What do you give? Well, I gave it a seven as well. I did. Okay. I did. I did. I think you got a good point, though. I remember when they said, uh, when they said, no, you know, false count anywhere. Like, my mind immediately was like, what year is this? Because, <laughs> whoa. Yeah, because I don't ever remember WWF doing a false count anywhere match uh, before that point. And yeah, so, like, on that level, absolutely. Like, that's really cool. It's the, just, uh, I like, although I think I do like the idea of Abdullah the Butcher. If he just kept changing gimmicks, like Abdullah <laughs> the Cowboy. Like, <laughs> Abdullah. Like, this was like a, a weekly thing. <laughs> the, the Taylor made butcher. <laughs> yeah, the there, Taylor there's something appealing about Abdullah, Abdullah the scuba diver. That yes. <laughs> Abdullah the nurse practitioner. You know, <laughs> Abdullah the lunch lady. <laughs> See, I like this bit. Yeah, because yeah, yeah he, he totally looked like Dusty Rhodes at first. I thought it was Dusty too, and then just wow. <laughs> the master of disguise. <laughs> That's that movie. That they need to remake that movie now with Abdullah. Yes, yeah, the, the Dana Carvey movie. <laughs> <laughs> Turtle, <laughs> Turtle. <laughs> oh god! So we come right out of the commercial break. Pretty much jobber entrances here now. Although I, they definitely did them because Goad had also sent like the. 
the remixed or redone or replaced uh, Fabulous Freebirds entrance music, but it's not very good apparently. But we don't hear it on this because we go right into the ring because it's the Freebirds taking on CM Brad Armstrong and Big Doink. <laughs> Big Doink. <laughs> the reason I say CM Brad Armstrong is he's got like these trunks that remind me of CM Punk. Like with the stars on him, it almost looks like what he would end up using later on. But, um, all right, so Jim Ross runs down the history of the Freebirds because, let's face it, we need to build these guys up. Uh, we need to build them up so much that we need to talk about their new wrestling trunks and speculate about their new strategy or mindset. But thanks to Cactus. <laughs> but thanks to Cactus and Hammer going over on time, we don't even get the entrances with this one. We're right into the action with Armstrong and Big Josh. Armstrong does his signature dropkick, performs admirably. The free Freebirds look like their usual sloppy crap, but it's Big Josh that bears mention here. I can't fathom them fathom them trying to turn him heel, and yet he comes off like really aggressive and a borderline heel in this. To that end, like he's really sloppy himself. At least two Irish whips failed a launch, and a few of his clubbing shots look like a look a little stiff. Uh Speculate for yourself what happened that evening to Josh and Topeka, but this ends with a wildly unnecessary double DDT to Armstrong to give the Freebirds a much-needed win. I end up giving this a two. Jason, what would you think of it? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I tried to find the the Freebirds performing their own entrance music, too, and was unsuccessful in finding this particular one, but I did find a video of of uh, Michael P.S. Hayes standing next to Terry Gordy's tombstone singing a, a ballad about missing him called Free Bird Road. Well, uh, didn't I send you that video? Yes. Yes, you did. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's terrible. <laughs> like, I, you know, you know it, it is it is, it is, is not a well-made, crafted thing, but the sentiment is really good, um, singing about the friend, but it is, you know, if if I, like I fat ass uh, haze is just gonna fall right through the ground and just meet <laughs> him. If I was to pass away too soon, and either one of you did that, I would haunt you. I would haunt you. <laughs> yeah, you would hear that <laughs> in your sleep. Uh, but so to get to the match itself, Jim Ross makes a comment about uh, Michael P. S. Hayes's good agility, uh, specifically good agility by the veteran. And it could not have come at a better time because just as Jim Ross finishes saying that, Michael Hayes has the most awkward roll-up I have ever seen. It's like a, it's like someone trying to do a five-point turn, but it takes them 11 points uh, is how it looks. Uh, and it's, just, it's just phenomenal. Um, now, to go back to their new style or their, new, their form of wrestling, and, and yes, it is absolute crap, but it didn't have the typical free bird stalling and carousing that these matches tend to have. It, it, it didn't, uh, it was it was significantly reduced. It was really short. It could have been because the false count anywhere match got two segments. So, you know, it's either get cut or don't do your normal shtick. Um, big Josh is super sloppy. I don't know if his, his, maybe his boots are wet. Cause he slips on the freaking second rope, like three or four times trying to do stuff. Um, maybe that's why he gets pissed off and seems to be a little, little stiff i can't tell if the free birds are faces or heels again um you know even though it looks like their new attire they just saw what van hammer was wearing and go give me that but don't pay as much um 
Michael Hayes gets up before the three count finishes. But, you know, they win this match. <laughs> Give it a three. I'd like to think that Josh did the log roll to Missy Hyde in the trough in the commercial break. He's like, I'm mad. I hate being here. <laughs> How big was Big Josh's dick? Was he lived up to his name, Charlie? Oh, man. More like a whoopee cushion. <laughs> <laughs> the dumpy cushion. That thing made me laugh seeing that fat fuck do that whoopee cushion to a dude. Just completely ate his face with his ass. Oh yeah, <laughs> you guys. Yeah, you ever see the uh, the gif someone did of the the last Hardy <laughs> Boys match before they came back to WWE, where Matt and Nick Jackson both give him like a Hardy a super kick at once, and someone took the gif and made it look like that's how he became unbroken for a little bit. You see the the ghost come out of him. Someone just needs to go back. <laughs> do like people's spirits coming out after taking Yokozuna bombs or other fat fuck bombs. Just Literally right now, somebody posted to our the Facebook page, and I, I um I think it's still on there. If not, I'll double check. Yokozuna, like we we saw him just kill Virgil. This jobber, like he absolutely engulfs with a bonsai. Oh, drop. Is this the one he gives the bonsai drop and he lands on his throat? Yeah, just yeah, I think I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tommy Gunn Moore isn't coming back for another episode of Main Event. I don't think. <laughs> All right, so oh wait, how you doing? Yeah, Charlie. That's, that's, yeah, I, I figured there was one more left. I was like, we haven't I really, we, we haven't really bashed that. this enough yet. So, uh, what's going on, well, Charles? Let's let's do this some more. Um, so what the <laughs> fuck is new? Uh, like they say their trunks are new. And I'm like, okay, I would have never noticed that. I, I like, and I'm and I, like, because they're like, oh, because yeah, because we missed like the first little bit because of the the last match going over. So like all the new free birds, and I'm like, this is like the new rockers, like because I'm I'm watching Michael Hayes, and I'm like, look, I think that's you know we're looking at standard definition. I'm like, I think that's Jimmy Jam Garvin. So I'm, I'm just kind of sitting there, like, what the fuck is new? It's like they got a new finisher. No, it's a double DDT. And just it's the same old fucking shit with these free birds. Jesus Christ. Uh, I gave this a two. Charlie, instead of because it was LOD two thousand, what if it was this is a uh, this is fabulous Freebirds nineteen ninety two? That's our name, <laughs> Freebird ninety two. <laughs> they try and grunge. They come out wearing flannel and shit. See, like, that would have been it. That would have been that it. Would have been it. Yes. <laughs> Michael uh, Hayes, any better impression? <laughs> Bad Street, Atlanta, GA. <laughs> Michael Hayes. Jeremy. Michael Hayes drops off. <laughs> Garvin he rolls down the window. He's like, "Hey, what? I just want to take another look at you." <laughs> <laughs> I wish Michael Hayes does the Kurt Cobain impression. Rated PG thirteen. God, God, I hate the part of that part of that fucking trailer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful movie, Will, and you. <laughs> I hate. Because like, now, because now I'm just like, like well, first of all, who's saying that to who in this? Scenario? Bradley Cooper says it to Lady Gaga. No, 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 I know that, but I'm, I'm talking about oh. wrestling. Oh, Michael PSA says it to Jimmy Jam Garvin. So Jimmy Jam Garvin gives that stupid smile back, like, Dang. <laughs> you know? I don't think I don't think people accept me because of my nose and beard. <laughs> <laughs> 
the only thing is they just got to still be the obnoxious one. He just looks at it and goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Freebird Road. Just me ends with Jimmy Garvin singing Freebird Road after Michael Hayes. <laughs> Freebird Road. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Michael Hayes has t- uh, tendonitis or whatever. Whatever the thing is that, that tonight is, sorry. <laughs> oh, shit. That's good. A free bird is born. <laughs> Stay tuned for the new Blood Rising Oscar special where we the best by inserting the free birds in them. The Michael P.S. Is, is T'Challa in Black Panther. The part of uh, Dave Chappelle will be played oh, by Virgil. <laughs> See, I was going to cast Bad Street as Sam Elliott. Yeah, <laughs> with the mask on. <laughs> but we can't hear him. Yeah, exactly. We just, yeah. Well, all you got's 12 strings. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bischoff sets up a video of the Steiners that shows them dominating everyone with a voiceover to explain who they are and show that they've been beating the Road Warriors, the Samoan SWAT team, the Nasty Boys, Muda, Saito, and others. Then we see the attack by the Brian Johnsons that led to the bicep tear for Scott. Then how Rick feuded with Lex Luger for the world title. Finally, it sets up uh, their quest to win back the world tag team titles. Bischoff then uh, he uh, sets him up on the mic. Rick looks like he has a, a, a wad of red man in his lower lip and incoherently speaks of someone breaking into their house and taking something that wasn't theirs and something they never lost, which was an attempted metaphor for the tag titles, I think. Sp- uh, Scott leads off with, You know, they say patience is a virtue, which made me think, Oh my, here comes Big yeah. Papa Pump out to play. And the bottom yeah. line is, the Steiners are gunning for the for Anderson and Eaton's tag titles. What would you guys think? It's a big pop of bump begins. Oh man. And just like in Batman begins, Liam Neeson's the one that tells him how to do promos. Because man, that freaking we went out for our own brand of justice. Like, whoa, whoa. Uh oh. Uh oh. That's really rough. But it is. This is the like like this is really the first little bit. This isn't him in the middle of the ring, all amped up all excited like we're just hearing the yeah whatever this is a straight up big papa pump promo and it is great charlie what'd you think of it man oh it's awesome like i mean it is a big papa pump promo but i feel like uh i feel like steiner hadn't quite lost his mind yet like because it made sense and he didn't stutter and rick steiner was the one that i was like what the hell's going on here yeah, he just yeah, and then we're gonna do near just just he was never that good at promos. Great wrestler, but he's just like let Scott talk. Yeah, it, the, I was I was pumped. I love these guys. I love them so much. What, so, what if Scott Steiner played the role of Anakin Skywalker? <laughs> and so, <laughs> is it possible to learn this power, baby? <laughs> so so who's Who's Obi Wan? Because I just want to know. I've got the high ground. Go suck my dick or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, one thing, a point I, I forgot to bring up. So, the video recap of how strong and dominant, dominant, dominant the Steiners are. None of these teams are currently in WCW. 
<laughs> yeah, so I, I did want to talk about something briefly, and like this is semi kind of chat show ish, but like I just want to just want to mention this. You guys kind of feel like the Steiners are kind of aimless right now, like they have no direction whatsoever. Like they don't I mean, even they feel just like beat Vader and Hughes. Yeah, yes. and it was like, why would they even fight them? Like they you feel know? so absent from the world tag team title picture. Like every like. WWE's done a great job of crafting this whole dangerous alliance versus a like basically a, a stable of dudes on the WCW side that are like you know a, a buddies of Sting. The Steiners just feel like they're just in their own orbit, and there's just I don't see the direction, I don't see the opening for them to get to the World Tag Team Titles. You know, it just doesn't seem like it's there because pretty much like the other like Anderson and Eaton, they don't they act like they give no fucks about the Steiners, which they should, but they really don't. Well, I guess because it's you can't have too many people into the Dangerous Alliance storyline, which is wrong. Because if you've got a stable of five dudes, you should be building a, a stable of five dudes to potentially go against them. But it's like they've got right now, they've still kind of wrap up this storyline with Dustin and Barry Windham. And so the Steiners are kind of on the outside looking in. And just suddenly it's like, we beat Vader and Mr. Hughes. Now we're coming for those tag titles. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. That part doesn't. Because I mean, Vader and Mr. aren't associated with the Dangerous Alliance at all. I mean, it would just be something, if, and this goes back to the match. Like, we all talked about, like, this match looked awesome on paper, and yet they just killed these guys. I mean, they got pretty much jobbed out. And it would have been nice to see, like, maybe this is the feud that tides them over, where, like, they've just got to beat up on this meat for a while before they can get to the World Tag Team titles again. That's one way to put it. All right. Um... Let's go into our next match, Jay. It's Wi-Fi Tommy Rich or Thomas Rich taking on Vinny Vegas. Yeah, all seven foot two of Tommy Rich's dick versus Vinny Vegas, apparently. <laughs> Charlotte Stabile's Bay into Missy Hyatt tells the stories. Um, so what we really need is Kevin Nash trying to do more character work because he's even given Vinny Vegas a voice. And <laughs> uh, it's adorable. <laughs> like oh dude be the, you should be the strong silent type and maybe just get some cool venues and also give the tailor made man back his suit it looks like crap on you um because he's supposed to be a high roller but it looks like he spent 12 of dollars on his pants um those things look super cheap snake eyes is a finisher I mean, the way Thomas Ricks looks like he took it, it should be. <laughs> I don't think yes. Kevin. <laughs> no one had ever taken this move before. Thomas Ricks just knew I was going to happen if I'm going to get slammed because you know he sits up there for a whole twelve seconds while Vinny Vegas tries to roll the dice and get the crowd into it before he just goes, "Ah, fuck it, I'm going to completely turn around to do my finishing move," and this guy's never going to do anything to get out of it. This whole match is uh, what like uh, ninety seconds long and gets a two. Charlie, what'd you think of this? Uh, you gotta, you got you gotta admire Kevin Nash. Uh, <laughs> like, like, you just do. Like, he's like the Nicolas Cage of wrestling. Like, he'll just try anything. Oh, is that just, why you uh, said Snake Eyes? Huh? I like it. I like oh, it. I like oh, there it. you go. There you go. I didn't even think of that. No, no, no. So, so you know, we've seen him in three incarnations this season. Uh, he was a master blaster. He was Oz who is still my favorite and now he's Vinny Vegas and it's weird because he was he was doing the powerbomb hell he was doing the best version of the powerbomb as Oz and 
now that he's Vinny Vegas, which is a little bit closer to Diesel. Not like Diesel, like when he first showed up, but like Diesel, like in 95, uh, just with an accent and no powerbomb. And, and yeah, so Jim Ross kind of talks it up a little bit. He's like, oh, he's got this move called the Snake Eyes. So I got I to gotta see what that is. And I'm like, that can't be what I think it is. You know, it's just, it just can't be just a regular Snake Eyes. And but I agree with Jason. The the way that Tommy Rich takes it, I like I could buy that as a three. <laughs> like to, <clears throat> Tommy Rich is just like he's, he just gets taken out by it. Um, it. The the match is is pretty much dog shit. But Kevin Nash is just so fucking entertaining. Uh, <laughs> like just like my god, like this guy was a master blaster. Um, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a line. <laughs> This guy was a master blaster, and here he is, just yo, Vinny Vegas, yo, and just like, what the fuck is this? Um, and I, I really like the character, as it's a great precursor to what what eventually became what I think was his best character, which was Diesel. Uh, I gave this a three. I I only have one sentence I wrote for this, and I put, "Why on earth does a seven foot guy need to do a bulldog?" One. <laughs> Because everyone does. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, that's. I mean, that's that's like when I see the super kick of its time. Right. I mean, like it was. It's like, why is he doing this move? Like, it's it it just doesn't. It's like if a light heavyweight goes for a big boot. It's like, ah, uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> eh, <it's> a little <laughs> boot. The big little. Uh, all right. So, um, Eric Bischoff. Is with Paulie. Well, what'd you rate it? What'd you rate oh, I said it? one. I gave hey, it a God one. Oh, one. one? Yeah. <laughs> I love his little bit though in the beginning, where he's like, "I I need to," because Tommy Rich is so formidable. Thomas Rich is so formidable. I need to try and get well, some he's... of those. I need to get those bars down a little bit. And how am I gonna do that? Hey, there's somebody in the crowd. You know, it's uh talking to you, Thomas. It was... <laughs> yeah. The bait and switch. <laughs> Tommy doesn't want to do it at first. And, oh, well, well, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny that like he needs. Does this, does this guy need this to uh, you know, defeat Thomas Rich on I'm the glad clash? You brought that up. I might bump this up to a four. <laughs> <laughs> That part cracked me up, dude. <laughs> and like, I want to think about this character since, like, he's a high roller. Like, and high rollers traditionally probably have an entourage. Who is the bodyguard to a seven foot guy like him? Like, who seriously <laughs> is going to be protecting the high roller when he's out there, you know, high rolling? And it's Nick Papa Giorgio. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's the going to be bodyguard. That's right. All right, so. We've got Eric Eric Bischoff with um, Paulie Dangerously. Paulie runs down how every prediction he's made has come true and how WCW stars left and right are getting just smoked by the Dangerous Alliance. He guarantees one wrestler is going to go to the Magnum TA retirement home after tonight. <laughs> That's good. He apparently is not concerned about this poll because he doesn't mention it at all. That's on the on the hotline about right his managerial status with Rick Rude. So, Charlie, that sets us up for a dandy of a semi-main event. We've got Arn Anderson, Beautiful Bobby, and Larry Zabisco. Uh, Sorry to talk to you, Will, but here's the other MAGA moment. 
is in Bischoff. <laughs> so Bischoff runs down one by one how what's going you know what could happen to the various people that are going to be facing them tonight. And when he gets to Ron Simmons, he says, "And today, the day after a wonderful holiday." Ron Simmons' dreams are going to be crushed. He's going to go back to get it. So I looked it up. What so day this was, was it? <laughs> it's January. Uh, this class of the champions was on a Tuesday, yep. the 21st. Yep. And Jan- <laughs> January 20th, 1990, was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So <laughs> he just goes, you know what? Let's... Let's bring up the race card without bringing up the race card. It's a pretty impactful statement, but it's a little harsh. Um, you know, it, it just, I just felt like, holy crap, like it stood out enough where I was like, is, is he saying what day I think it is? Um, and in Topeka, Kansas, I didn't think that, you know, those people would give too much of a shit, but uh, Jesus. pretty tough. <laughs> Donna, nah, 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 nah. Wow. <laughs> well, remember, our state... Our state only started considering it a holiday, what, like 12 years ago? Keesler with the dumpy cushion to the state of Kansas. (laughs) The dumpy cushion. Take that. Take that. Kansas. Carry on the sun. He calls it the dust and the wind. (laughs) (laughs) You close your eyes. So, Charlie, this sets us up for your match. It's uh, Arn Anderson, Beautiful Bobby, and Larry Zabisco taking on Dustin Rhodes, Ron Simmons, and Barry Windham. So sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I don't. And I can honestly say um, I fucked up the spelling of Zabisco worse than I ever have in my life uh, when I wrote it out for this. I can never remember how to spell it. Sometimes I get it right by accident, but this thing... It's got like four Z's in it, and <laughs> like I think there's an umlaut in there. Like, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but anyway. So the match, um, I really hate this triple figure four spot, like with a passion, because there's no way they could have just just come up with this. Like if wrestling were real, like 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 they'd have to talk about it in the back. Hey, if we all happen to be in the ring at the same time, we get them all down. We got to do three figure fours and we all got to do it the opposite way. Like, like, cause they do the opposite leg, you know, which is a rare thing to see, but they all do it. Um, uh, here we go again with this bullshit. Um, I forget who it was. Somebody gets clotheslined over the top rope and Jr. claims that the referee didn't see it. Otherwise it would have been a DQ. I thought we were past this. Oh man. I have literally have the same note. I have the exact, I thought same. we were done with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently not. So, all right. Um, marked out big time with the double A spine buster on Dustin. Looked great. Um, match was okay. Barry Windham, like he's he's kind of the star of this match. Uh, he he's he's using his his uh, coal miner's glove fist that he's got going on, and uh, he ends up getting a, a three count off it. I honestly, my only real complaint with the match was. I don't think Ron Simmons is in this thing enough. Um, it doesn't. It, it kind of seems like he's an afterthought between Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes. But I still, I still enjoyed it though. I gave it a six. Jason, what'd you think? Well, Ron Simmons isn't in it enough, Charlie, because he's not even on the top ten list. But uh... <laughs> so this is the the first match of the entire season 
uh, to me anyway, where I feel like Barry Windham is the wrestler that people talk about him being. Um, because the the very first match we had was like that six man tag against like the Junkyard Dog and Eligante and I forgot who. Um, and all the heels take turns playing fucking cowardly chicken shits to Eligante. Um, and also Barry Windham was kind of second fiddle to Sid. And then, of course, he was the fake staying and started the year and a half long saga of Barry Windham trying to grow his hair out. Um, you know, so him coming back and he looked, I mean, he looked like a fucking badass in this match. And it was really cool to see that. Um, I did like where we don't get enough Ron Simmons. We do get a pretty cool Ron Simmons spot with the double wrist lock where they're, uh, it's Arn, I think, and Zabisco pinning him down and he flips jumps up and flips and spins them right into big elbows from Dustin and Barry Windham, and they run right back into a double clothesline from Ron Simmons. I thought that whole sequence was pretty cool. Um, so I would think, though, that any time that Barry Windham and Arn Anderson are in the ring together facing off, there would be a more dramatic considering they're both former four horsemen. They just kind of glaze over it. They, they don't. The closest thing to anyone mentioning Wyndham's association with the Four Horsemen is where Polly Dangerously talks about how Barry Wyndham couldn't hold up his end of a deal of another organization and throws up the, the Four Horsemen symbol. That's it. Um, it is weird to see that the son of the Booker is taking a, the brunt of the punishment here um, with Dustin getting a lot of, of the beatdown. Uh, someone, I don't know who, gives some – Arn gives a DDT – someone and Tony Schiavone says it was a DDT that was more effective than a DDT I, I don't understand because he then goes on to clarify later because I think Jim Ross looks at him and covers the mic and says what the fuck are you saying uh, is it more effective because he landed on the top of the head instead of his face I would think if you landed on your face that would also be pretty bad um, I still do not know why Bobby Eaton joined the Dangerous Alliance I need some backstory on that I really do especially because one of the people that is in his, the faction with him is the man who beat him for the TV title. Uh, you would think that that would kind of hold a grudge and you wouldn't be able to get past it. Um, the replay kind of betrays Wyndham's awesome-looking right hook that knocks Eden right out of the sky, uh, but it still is really cool-looking. I gave this thing a five. All right, so... Um... Wait, what did you give it, Jason? A five. Five, okay. So here we go, the semi-main event that honestly could be the main event based on the caliber of wrestlers. This is what made the Dangerous Alliance fun, was matches like this where three of the members along with Paul could really get after the faces. I feel bad for Dustin Rhodes because he's the only one who didn't seem to get the memo about color coordinating with his team. Because he's in yellow, everybody else is kind of in the black. Uh, obviously Dangerous Alliance like uses that red and kind of that green. Yeah, he's just in the yellow. It, Whatever. Uh, but using the obvious threat of um, Wyndham looking for revenge on Anderson and Zabisco specifically, the match starts quickly with the heels uh, powdering after getting walloped by Wyndham. There's a terrific exchange early on where both Anderson and Eaton have Ron Simmons locked up, top wrist lock that Anderson flips out of. Then Japanese arm drags both men, leads to them eating the elbows, and then the, sh the double shoulder block from Ron Simmons. Rhodes is the real house of fire in this, and... Um, Jim Ross brings back the skepticism of the top rope disqualification when he claims Rhodes threw Eaton over the top rope onto the ramp. But since the ref was turned, eh, fuck it. Uh, seriously, Jim, no one gives a shit and hasn't given a shit about the top rope disqualifications in months. But the diving clothesline that Rhodes gives afterwards from the ring onto the ramp is particularly good. 
He really, truly is his gimmick. He is a natural. And as often as Steve Austin and Kurt Angle get credit for catching on to the business quickly, Dustin Rhodes looks like a borderline U.S. title contender with the way he's flying around the ring. I'm not huge on the triple figure four spot either, but uh, I, I guess it's a good visual for the fans. My last thought on Rhodes is, how tough is he? Well, he eats a spine buster and then a DDT that Tony, like you said, Jason, says is more devastating because he lands on the top of his head. And somehow he, <laughs> he's never penned in this. It doesn't. It's not a fall for him. Uh, it's great to see Barry Wyndham get in on the action too. Finally, he's a proper baby face. He's one of those wrestlers who's easy to root for because he's just he's just so good, and it makes it makes it really fitting that he's leading Dustin along in this tag team since they really are an older and younger version of one another. I am curious, however, about what the fuck happened to Ron Simmons in this match because he only appears in basically that one spot we talked about, and then like you're thinking he's going to get the hot tag, but no, he doesn't. He's just the guy who's going to cut off the other guy who actually got the hot tag. The finish brings up a hilarious oversight by Paul Lee, and this is my really my biggest problem with the match, is why, as a heel manager, would you allow your guys to wrestle a guy who basically has a cast on his hand? It's a weapon. This needs to be argued more. I wouldn't step in there. And and you and wouldn't you figure <laughs> Wyndham walloping Eaton to get the win? I mean, hey, it's a solid six, man. The finish isn't terrible or even bad, but it probably, it, it probably would build more heat for Super Brawl if the faces would just eat a pin because of Paul Lee getting involved, which he kind of does. But, I mean, still, I just found it weird that, like, of all the promo stuff he does throughout the night, never mentions, like, hey, I kind of have a problem with this guy wrestling wrestling with the cast. This is such a good bit. You got, you've got you seen this in wrestling before. Where guys are like, eh, I don't know if I want to wrestle a guy because he's got a cast on. That's a weapon. Well, it's not really blah, blah, blah. See, this should be the hotline topic. Right. Yeah. Well, Paul Heyman does yell it before their match starts. He, you can hear him yelling, get that off of him, take that off of him, That's get that cast off of him. And then, so the ref goes over and just checks his look, he checks his hand and goes, eh, whatever, but at least he's arguing with it before the match. Kind of. I mean, like, it's like, that feels like something that needed to be in the promo because I think for the most part that's kind of lost. Like, that's just a lost afterthought in this match when it should be a bigger deal because, again, that's the whole reason the storyline started. And it would just be such an awesome heel thing to be like, we broke the guy's hand, but we're not going to wrestle him because he's got a, now a weapon on that said hand that uh, we beat up. I do like, though, I think Tony brings up that like they didn't work his hand enough. And he's right. They don't. They almost they don't do a ton to his hand you know, to really work an obviously injured body part. But whatever. It's still a fine match. It's a very fine match. I gave it a six. Okay, so now Tony is with the winners. Barry Wyndham, Ron Simmons, and Dustin Rhodes. Wyndham, uh, he doesn't give a damn what anyone says about his injury because he's taking names, kicking tail, and forgetting names. I think I think I have that right. I think he says it basically <laughs> like that. He says Zabisco, misspelled it here. The, my Microsoft Word is telling me I misspelled it too, Charlie. <laughs> he says Zabisco and basically everyone he's ever known or any of his friends are going to be crippled. Wow. He's angry. <laughs> Wyndham just keeps fucking talking. <laughs> like, 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 if you look in the background, Ron Simmons and Dustin Rhodes kind of keep acknowledging each other's existence. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, Ron, like, puts his hand on Dustin and, like, 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 
How you doing, bud? And then like <laughs> 20 seconds later, he does it again. And just kind of like puts it, All right, you still good? All right. And, and Wyndham just keeps going on and on. And then finally just ends. And then they just, they all leave. I'm, and I was like, I want to hear them talk. I guess Wyndham saw, he goes, if Pillman can do it, why can't I? <laughs> so then we're, the, the show takes a wonderful turn here because Jesse Ventura is with JR at ringside. He offers, <laughs> he, he offers thoughts on the main event and, Boy, this really makes a difference. This makes such a difference in this match. Tony gets demoted. <laughs> yeah, Tony is instantly demoted. And you know what? Based on a lot of what we've said over the last few shows where he's been with Ross, and it's like clearly Jim Ross at times is like, man, fuck you, Tony. I mean, I, I, I'm sure he doesn't mind. <laughs> no, I mean, and plus it's two play-by-play guys. It's, it's never been right. That's what you get for that bone in your cap. <laughs> yep, they called Jesse right after he said that. Yep. <laughs> I gotta finish filming Demolition Man. I'll be there soon. <laughs> so that sets us up now for our main event. It is stunning Steve Austin and ravishing Rick Rude, along with Paulie dangerously taking on Sting and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. All right, this is a great main event for a clash based on the events of Battle Bowl. We said that these guys were basically the final four of ring number two during. Um, Battle and to have Jesse Ventura on commentary with Jim Ross immediately elevates the quality. And you really notice what Tony and Jim were lacking as a team because they were essentially, as you point out, Charlie, two play-by-play guys. Jesse is Jesse and is is a perfect heel compliment that has been missing since Paul Lee was on commentary with Jim. Lines like Sting will be singing soprano the next time he sings Roxanne. It's stuff <laughs> you know, that's stuff you're just not gonna get with Tony. And then in terms of the match. Um, Nick Patrick might be one of the, the, he might be one of the very fine referees, but he reaches another level of all time (laughs) moron here. It's bad enough that the faces are pulling the old switcheroo behind his back, but the, (laughs) but the the fact that he looks to the crowd for help is particularly sad. (laughs) Did you call the hotline? (laughs) <laughs> my question is what were you expecting to find in this investigation sir and to follow this up by telling sting hey i'm watching you is laughable he does do he does the de niro <laughs> we got more in a moment here from nick rick root selling atomic drops looks like someone taking a massive shit after Man. eating lentils i've been there uh it's terrible uh, other than that, the match is pretty mundane in the run of the it's, it's it's sadly mundane and it's run of the mill until once again, very fine referee Nick Patrick makes a bold call as a referee. So let's set this up. Sting assaults Austin on the ramp, then runs back. He ascends to the top rope and decides to execute a crossbody into the back of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who then crashes into and I I wasn't sure was it Rick Rude or Austin who eats the pen. I thought it was Austin, but I'm not. I think positive. it's Austin. I so it's Austin, Austin made his he took his mealy mouth candy ass back into the ring, and he ends up taking Sting crossbodies into Steamboat, into Austin. They're all laying on top of Austin, and Nick Patrick's like, "Yep, yeah, nothing to see here." <laughs> and he makes a most careful count of one, two, three to give the faces the win. Afterwards, thankfully, Rude just snaps and gives two Rude Awakenings to Steamboat, and Sting <laughs> takes a whipping on top of Steamboat to protect him. Security gets mauled by the Dangerous Alliance, 
It's a nice <laughs> touch. But otherwise, like, another just match out on paper I was expecting a lot and didn't deliver much because Nick Patrick just is a moron. I gave it a four, sadly. Jason, what'd you think? <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, the instant change of energy with, with Ventura being there, I think it's a great idea. Fuck, we flew him out. We might as well put him on for one match um, so that maybe WCW people that have never watched the WWF show will get a taste of what Ventura could be. Uh, I had down, you know, about Rick Rude's uh, atomic drop selling. Only I didn't. I went the highbrow road, Will. I didn't go about taking shits, but he pantomimed it like uh, Marina Sirtis selling anytime she's feeling overwhelming emotion on Star Trek The Next Generation. She's just about to blow her asshole out. Well, good for um, you. That's right. Um, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> we've got uh, last show, and I think, yeah, it was last show. Uh, Rick Rude's adamantium abdomen is able to absorb everything that Big Josh throws at it, including some body blows and a log roll. But uh, Sting gives him one knee to the gut, and he's down for the count. So I don't know if it's what's going on there. Um, if you go back to the beginning of the match, we get the Rick Rude sweat hog. This is what a real man looks Thank like. Thank you, yeah, good call. Yeah, yeah. Which is real fun for two reasons. Number one, it's Rick Rude being Rick Rude. Number two... It's been a while since I've been able to really pull someone out of the crowd. Now, the, the little girl wasn't fair because the camera was on the little girl and there was a whole thing. But in the front row in Topeka, Kansas, in 1992, is a young man with a mullet, a Toronto Blue Jays ball cap, and a Malcolm X t-shirt. <laughs> so I, and his, as Rick Rude is turning where he, he turns to give the rude shake to the opposite hard cam folks. The young man, I paused it. It's, I will have it up for everyone. Another tales from the Paul button is going through a sexual awakening. As well. It's Rick rude. It's flexing. It is amazing. Like this, it is like the kid opened the briefcase in Pulp Fiction and it is glowing on the kid and everything. You see it Thomas Rich's dick in there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> but true, it is pretty dang funny because right on the other side of of Rick Rude, it's just just like this young girl going, "Yes, that's what it is." Yes, it's it's pretty. She's she's just got like this nice, yes, this pleasant glaring. This dude's face is amazing. Um, so we've got uh, the faces, quote quote, I guess we'll say for this match, doing back rakes, uh, doing what they can to pull the tag team partner into the ring to distract the ref so the ref could do it, so they could do illegal tags on a submission move. Um, you know, what is this? Uh, I'm not a big fan of that. I, yes, I understand that this is a dangerous alliance. They're a bunch of dirty bastards. But the, the faces should not cheat first to me, ever. Unless it's a unless it's a direct callback to something ha that happened in a previous match, um, just it, it shouldn't you shouldn't be doing anything dirty unless it's like a direct thing to me. And Jesse Ventura kind of brings that up in a commentary uh, comment where he's not just commenting on the match, but he's also kind of letting the bookers know, hey, maybe fix some of this shit. Um, I will say this: will run is a strong word for what Sting does to get back to the ring. He kind of moseys on over there. Because um, he looks like Primus in the Winona's Big Brown Beaver video, the way okay, um, to do the finish there. I, you know, I, I would have rated this match a lot higher. 
but it was the whole identity crisis of whose faces and whose heels um, that kind of threw it off. You know, I feel that Steamboat should have not resorted to cheating. Um, and that kind of they got what they deserved with whipping shit out of them at the end. Uh, but I'm not sure how a belt is supposed to cripple anybody. I gave this match a five. Charlie, I thought of you. The Nick Patrick stuff just blew my mind in this match. <laughs> what did you think so, of this? <laughs> well, okay, I'll get back. I'll get to Nick Patrick in a minute because, man, like, I was like, well, at least WCW's doing something different here. Uh, so Rick Rude comes out, and yes, he gives that promo. But, it, he, but the thing that's so cool about it, he doesn't call out necessarily the people in Kansas. He calls out us. You know, you, you, you cable watching couch potatoes or whatever he says. I'm like, oh, yeah. And uh, this was cool, too. And I, I didn't think of this until uh, it started happening. But Jesse Ventura kind of picks up where he leaves off with Rick Rude uh, from WWF. Uh, he's, he's, he's cheering him on and, and commentating uh, for Rick Rude in the same way that he would in the WWF. And I, I really, really liked hearing that. Um so yeah, let's 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 talk about this uh, this weird fucking thing where the faces are the heels for a little bit. Um, what's the move that they keep? Like, oh, it's 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 a camel clutch, and uh, so so Sting's got like a camel clutch. Nick Patrick gets distracted. He, he leaves. Steamboat comes in. Patrick sees it, looks out at the audience. Well, what do you think? Oh well, yeah 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 yeah. They made a tag. All right, I'll take your word for it. And it's just one of those things. It's, it's just really weird because usually it's the other way around. It's uh, the heels will do something dastardly. And then the ref will ask the crowd and the crowd's like, yeah, yeah, they're cheating. I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> the ref just won't, never listens to the crowd. This is the first time I think I've ever seen the ref listen to the crowd. And it's for the faces. And it just feels weird. Like I can imagine as a kid, I would have been really confused. Um, Seeing this, I remember the first time I saw Hulk Hogan cheat. It was when he hit Teddy Biasi in the back with the chair at WrestleMania Four, and uh, and I was really confused by that as a kid. And my dad's like, "See, even Hulk Hogan cheats." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "No, <laughs> like, no, he doesn't cheat you know, like, on his wife." <laughs> <laughs> on his yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, um, like, this isn't just, like, a great main event for Clash. This is probably, like, the most excited I've been for a main event uh, ever. Like, this is just an awesome match, like, on paper. And, unfortunately, I, 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 I'm going to have to agree. It just doesn't quite deliver. Uh, the only only person I think that does a, a fantastic job in this match is Rick Rude. His selling of that atomic drop, I mean, it's really something. Like, like, I've never seen his body bend like that. And, yes, it just looks like... The drizzling shits. Um, and Jesse Ventura says, sells up how much an atomic drop hurts. And it's just, it's really strange like to see that move being sold in, in such a way. Um, the pin, holy cow. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a double <laughs> pin, isn't it? Like it's, it's, yes. it's, 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 and Dick Patrick just, yeah, we're out of time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll count it. Like Nick Patrick is so awful in this match, and and yeah, yeah, it's it's probably not his fault. He's probably directed to do this stuff, but it just makes wrestling just look so stupid. You know, I'm like I'm like more stupid than it, than it's it usually is because when they don't follow their own rules, like it just seems like it like this is the way that that you would treat a heel team. 
like as a referee. Like, and it was just, oh man, those damn heels. It just seems like Sting and, and, and Steamboat just paid off Nick Patrick <laughs> because he doesn't really seem to do anything for the Dangerous Alliance in this match. Um, doesn't Paul Lee get in a phone shot? Yeah, on one to, of the security uh, guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, I, I seem to remember him hitting somebody in the stomach oh. on the phone, like on the ramp. Yeah, I think it was Stinger. That's it. And, and Sting, I'm sorry. Sting is just too fucking nice. So like he he like gets on top of Steamboat as the belt lashing begins, and it's just like Sting, like what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and I do like Rick Rude being like ah ah ah, and just immediate two rude awakenings <laughs> to Ricky Steamboat. Rick Rude is just the best. Uh, I miss him. He's so good. And oh god, he had his fucking airbrush pad uh, tights on. Yes. Uh, with with the U.S. title. <laughs> Like, oh, God, I wonder where those are. Like that whole collection of Rick Rude's attire. Like that's got to be somewhere. If there ever is a uh, Hall of but, Fame one day, a physical Hall of Fame, I want to see those. Those They, be so they, cool. they have to have those. Those things are so cool. And, and I did like that they point out the, uh, the kind of the novelty of this match, that these are the top four contenders for the world title. Yeah. Um, and, yes, it's very cool. You got Rick. Rick Root is the U.S. champion. Steve Austin's the TV champion. Like, the Dangerous Alliance actually feels uh, important. And, uh, unfortunately, this 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 victory just kind of undermines the whole thing for me. Uh, I, I gave this a five. Gotcha. Yeah, I just I think we're all pretty much in a... a and, and here's what's weird. Like, so as, as, as Charlie's totaling that up, like, I went to cagematch.net because I was curious after that match. I was like, so I wonder, like, how highly regarded, like, not necessarily user ratings, but, like, where'd Meltzer put a lot of these matches? So, he rates pretty highly at least four of the matches on this card. We've mentioned a couple. He puts the Steiner, uh, the Steiners versus Vader and Hughes, three and a quarter. He puts, um, uh, Brian and Bagel versus Taylor and Smothers at three and a half. He puts Cactus Jack and Sammy Hammer at three and a half. And then he puts for for that six man that we just talked about, the semi-main with uh, Dangerous Alliance versus Wyndham, Rhodes, and Simmons, four. Four. Wow. wow. Four. Four stars. That's, uh... Wow. That's wild. Like, I just... I didn't love that match. It was fine. It was, it was a good watch. I, I just was blown away by that, but... Wow, how um, huh. how are you doing on the ratings, Chuck? Oh, we're good. Okay, we're good. Where are we at? I have it rated at the highest, and you two are tied for last place. Uh, we gave this show a four point one. Cage match has it at six point two nine. This one's rated. Well, they're well, they're not right. They're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, That's not true. Yeah, I mean, granted, like I. I didn't want to have a one on there, but I just, you know, it is, it is, it's on there, but whatever. But it's still like, um, the thing that the show succeeds on is like, man, I, I'm kind of pumped for Super Brawl. Like I'm pumped to see the MAGA match with uh, Pillman <laughs> and, uh, and Liger. You know, I want to see the, all the, all the storylines coming out of the Dangerous Alliance feud. Then of course you have Sting and Luger. Like it feels like a really important show. How do you guys feel about that? I love the roster. 
Like the roster that WCW has right now is fantastic. Like in and even with Jesse Ventura like on commentary now, it's like, wow, this is starting to feel like a real company. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So I, I am excited for Super Bowl. Jason, are you excited for Super Bowl? I mean, you got to be because football has the Super Bowl and baseball has the World <laughs> Series. WCW has Super Bowl too, but no, it, it does. It seems like it's a, <clears throat> it is a big deal. Um, it is kind of weird that all the matches that happen on this. You know, essentially the show that's designed to sell Super Bowl, that the world heavyweight champion is only featured in a a, a sat or a video pre-filmed video promo, um, which is kind of weird. And I guess maybe that does go back to the contract stuff. Like the world heavyweight championship seems to be like an afterthought compared to the the Dangerous Alliance. It's funny as if uh, that that's that's it's one of the funniest points to see people bitch about today with WWF is about Lesnar not being there. It's like, geez, man, Luger's like barely there with the world title, like <laughs> barely, but it's fine. It's okay because there's so much other stuff that's really compelling. And that's what always, that, that's, that's what can balance it out. Like, I mean, when you're the world champion, like, I mean, it's, uh, I think to a degree, like it's, it's okay for you not to really be on shows in a significant role, but you have to have stuff that balances it out, and thankfully, this this time period just delivers so much, so much really good stuff overall. Um, so that's where we're headed. Super Brawl Two will be the next one. So, quick note: there is a, another Super. Damn it! I always mess this up. It's not Super Show or Super Card. It's one of the Japanese show. Super, oh yeah. There it happened in January. It happened before this show i believe so technically it's what we probably should have done next but my reasoning though is i don't think it airs until march and when i looked at the card nothing really looks significantly like connected to what we're doing so it almost kind of exists like independently again so it's it wasn't anything crushing to not do it this time it felt more relevant to do clash now and then pick that up later in march whenever it happened so um just wanted to make that note about that show but uh up next will be super brawl 2 that'll be the next uh pay-per-view episode however before we get to that episode being released we'll do our first chat show which will be really fun where we'll just kind of round table a few topics again talking about things from season five and where we've been from uh, you know mid 91 up through here beginning in 92 that's gonna be a lot of fun keep your eyes out for the uh, best of luck spot hall of fame nominations for you to cast your your ballot There'll be more detailed instructions in the post. We've kind of mentioned them already. You will you can pick up to four. We'll probably stick with that number. And then we'll tally them up from there after we hit the deadline for it. So until then, keep an eye out on Twitter at New Blood Pod. We're on Facebook, New Blood Rising Podcast. I am at William Rink, at William Rink in 83. I'm at the Jason Kiesler. And I am at CM underscore Stabs. We'll see you all again soon for our uh, New Blood Rising Podcast chat show.